you can actually stand back up. Sorry. Uh, so we are in for uh, Advent. We're finishing up First John, and we're in chapter 5. So we're going to read a few very, this is probably the shortest verses I think I've ever read since I've come to town church. Um, in First John chapter 5, we're going to read this together. This is God's word to us. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal the word of the Lord. Father, as we listen to um, the Lord, as we're just in worship right now, we're listening to the words of songs, we're singing them, we're praying, we're contemplating, we're hearing your word read, and we need for your Holy Spirit to, to be our guide and our teacher, to be the one, even as we've prayed, that would transform us, that you'd move in us. And wherever we may be in life, some of us come believing the things we've been saying and, and talking about and praying. Some of us question. Some of us may not know that we believe any of this. So we thank you that you are a God who is patient and who pursues. Please pursue us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you can be seated. So with this uh, passage in 1 John, we're using this for Advent, we've said this. This is the big idea. Those born of God believe Jesus is the Christ from God. This is kind of our theme over this whole season. So we are invited to trust several things. John is inviting us in, in chapter 5. Really, he's been doing it throughout the whole sermon of 1 John, but he's really focusing in as we get to this last chapter. And it's this, trust his, trust his victory, trust his identification. Those are the two things that we talked about already. And then today, here it comes, where is it? There it is, trust his life. And then we'll look at the next two, the next two weeks. So today we're looking at this idea of trusting his life that he calls eternal life. So here's a question for you. What do you think of when you hear the term eternal life? What comes to your mind when you hear eternal life? Anyone? Never dying. Okay. It's kind of the natural thing to think, right? Okay, what else? Anybody else have ideas of what, what things come to your mind? Or maybe what things come to the mind of, of the world around us, of culture, or other people that you've known? The idea of eternal life. Reunited with God. After death. Forgiveness. So lots of, lots of different things probably come to our, our mind. Eternal life is a loaded concept in our culture today, um, some of which I would say is aligned with the biblical idea. But here's going to be my challenge. Much of our ideas may not be as aligned with Scripture as we think it is. Okay? Doesn't mean it's going to blow everything out of the water that we've always thought, but maybe we're going to have some things challenged. I think often um, if you ask somebody about eternal life, especially those that aren't connected to like a religion, they think, what in the, eternal life? I'm trying to figure out my life for today. 
right? <laughs> like, how am I going to get through exams this week? Like, that's more of what we are thinking about when somebody brings this heavy idea of eternal life. I think sometimes we see and we feel like it's so disconnected from the reality of the world that we live in right now, and that's not the way Scripture uses the idea of eternal life. So, what does John actually tell us about eternal life? This is not an exhausted study on what eternal life is, right? We could spend a whole year talking about different aspects of what eternal life is. We're going to look at specifically what John says and kind of dig into that and elaborate a little bit on that. And what he says, just as a big summary of what eternal life is, he says it's a gift. That's what he says. He says it's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift in the Son, and it's a gift for us. This is how John describes it in in, in, uh, chapter 5. So, it's a gift from God, meaning what? Well, it's it's free. It originates from Him. It flows from Him. It came from Him. It's not something we create, create. Whatever it is, it's not something that we achieve. Because why? It's a gift from Him. It's also a gift that probably is big, (laughs) okay? If it came from God, it's probably something that we need to keep unpacking for like a really long time. One of the greatest presents that I ever remember getting growing up, I got a lot of really good presents. I have a lot of good memories of presents, especially from my granddad for whatever reason. Gave me my first shotgun, gave me my first all kind of stuff, okay? So I I have no idea how old I was. I was, uh, we would go up to their house, like after we did our own little Christmas morning thing, we would drive about a couple hours away. We'd go to their house, and you walk into their house, and their Christmas tree was right here, and there was this massive present under the Christmas tree that had my name on it. So obviously, we have to wait like 10 years before we go and open presents because we got to do all kind of other stuff. Finally, it gets to the time I get to open that present. I open it up, open up the present, and it's a, a wooden toolbox that my granddad had built. He built it, okay? But inside was a bazillion little presents because he had wrapped all the individual tools. That was like the great, it's the gift that kept on giving. It kept going. Like you open up the one present, oh my gosh, it's going to be a big present. And what do I have? I have a million little gifts underneath here. This eternal life, whatever it is, keeps giving. I think we keep finding new aspects and new dimensions because it comes from an enormously large giver, okay? So it's free, whatever it is, it's free, and also it's a gift that we probably need to keep unpacking. But what is it actually? Well, if it's from him as a person, like if it's a personal gift from him, it's got to reflect him in some way, right? That would make sense. If it's a gift from him, it would reflect him. What do we know about God's life, therefore, that may inform how he wants us to view life? Okay? I think that's where we got to go. It's it's life from him. So what is his life like? Well, first John has been talking about the life of God being a life of light and love. So that's good. Those are good concepts. But what does it mean, like tangibly? How does God live life? Well, where do we know Let's just start at the beginning. What do we know about what God does, about God's life, when we start the beginning of the big book? In the beginning, God, he created, right? What does God do with his life? He creates stuff, right? That's, that's how we begin to understand. He, he creates. Well, what is creating? 
Well, part of it for him was bringing stuff out of nothing, right? That's the beginning. But most of, when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, most of it is a cultivation of what he made. He makes stuff, and now he's taking the raw material, and he's cultivating life. And then, as he's cultivating life, he says some things about it. So as he's going through, he, he, so he, he, makes, he makes light, and he says, this is, this is this is good. And then he goes on and he, he makes dry land and then the seas and he saw, saw that it was good. And then he makes uh, plants to grow up out of the ground with seed of their own kind. He makes plants to be life-producing things and he says it's good. So he does this six times. He says it's good. And then a seventh time he says, ah, it's very good at the end of this whole thing. This word, this word for good is tov. It's kind of loaded with meaning. Tov, it's, it's, it's good. What is he doing when he says it's good? Well, one, I think he's marking it with value. He's saying, what I've made has value. But I think also he is celebrating. He's celebrating life. Right? God's life is about giving life. All of this that he's doing is about him giving life. He's giving life by creating and cultivating and celebrating life. So then in the, in the midst of this, at the end of the sixth day, he says, hey, I'm going to make an idol of myself. We call it an image bearer. That's, that's us. He says, I'm going to make this thing that is, that is my image bearer. He says, so, it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, equal. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. He gave birth to humanity, and then he shared his life with them. He gave them a purpose. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill, subdue, cultivate. His life spread to them so that they could spread life to others. You see that, right? He's, that's, what all, that's all that he does. He gives life so that life can be given away. His light and his love are then seen as he gives life. He is the great creator and cultivator. He's the great celebrator of life and goodness. And he made us to enjoy that and then also to live as he lives. By doing what? Creating and cultivating and celebrating life in the world and for the world. I propose that's eternal life. When, when God talks about eternal life, I propose this is a big piece of it. So that, that, that is how things are supposed to be. We, we see bits of it, I think, happening, right? When you give to others, something comes alive in us. My, my daughter came back from a very long day of coaching. She's got, uh, she coaches little, little, little girls in gymnastics, and they have their state mates. So she came back, and she was just, like, energetic, right? Why is that? Because she's been giving to those little girls all day. It's exhausting, Right? But there's something about that that you know I'm, I'm aligning with, with good, with something good when I'm giving myself away. But at the same time, we realize, like if we're honest, we've talked about it already throughout the service, there's something horribly wrong with us. There's something horribly still wrong with the world. This eternal life, this way of life is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Man's mission as God's image bearers, the, the little idols, 
the right idols that were supposed to be in the world, was to enjoy the gift of this life and then to carry it forward. But we were given the option to not accept the mission. He gave us the, the original people, I think continuing, we're given the option of not accepting the mission. God made it very clear if we choose that way, if we grasp after the fruit of our own way, um, making life about us, right? Because that's the alternative, making life about us. If we do that, we're actually going to lose life and we're going to break life, and there's going to be an intrusion of non-life into all that was good. We called it death, which for whatever reason, we chose actually chose that way. As time goes on, God actually allows life still to spread, right? Life didn't end. God allowed it to continue, but it was less than full, and it was, it's now it's corrupted by this cancer of death. And, and even in that, he, he keeps working to bring life back to us. Like, he can't give up. Like, come on, God. How can, how can you continue to pursue with a people who want to rebel against you. He even promises to overcome this enemy of, of life. And this is woven throughout all the stories of the Bible. You hit every single story and you're going to see this woven in there. It's, a, it's kind of encapsulated, though, when you get to Genesis chapter 12 and we come across this guy, Abram and his wife. And God calls him. He says, hey, I want you to leave where you live and I'm going to take you someplace else. And he says this to him. This is Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. To him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? This is, this is getting back to the original design. God's encapsulating it here. This seed grows from here with lots of twists and, and turns and interruptions and failures on the part of us, humanity, but God patiently continued. He was faithful to his mission, to his way of life, because he kept breathing life into, kept breathing life into places and people, into wombs and into land where there was death. Right? Think about whatever, even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, think about some of the stories and think about where God actually enter, in, enters into these places. And he, and he brings life where there's death. And he keeps giving and showing grace and mercy and love to, to men and women. Um, and sometimes we take it, but we seem to inevitably turn it away again. We get it, and then we seem to squander it. And we reenact the whole Adam and Eve thing, and the garden and the snake and the tree and the fruit. Like it's not just them. <laughs> it's me. We seem to keep reenacting this thing. Over and over, death and darkness, unlife seems to keep winning. It keeps winning. Everybody dies. It keeps winning. But God keeps this flame of his goodness alive that continues to spread along with the darkness. That's human history. We okay? You with me? All along, there seems to be this growing sense, like when you read the, 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 the Hebrew story, the Old Testament, there's this growing sense that something more has to happen, something new, a greater restoration has to come. We feel it. 
So with all of this, God is seen not only as a creator and a cultivator, because we're trying to figure out who's God, what's God's life? He's a creator and he's a cultivator. He's a celebrator of life and goodness. And then we see this other aspect. He is and wants to be a restorer of life. He is and therefore is about restoration, sometimes called salvation, um, redemption. It's among the many, many, many things we could talk about when we talk about God being a giver of eternal life. It's a gift from him. It includes this. It's about him giving life, giving life by creating and cultivating and celebrating and restoring life and goodness to, to others. It's who he is. It's his way of life, and it's what he wants for us. This is the life he wants for us. What would it look like if we actually lived that way? What if we actually believed our life was so it's saturated with the gift of God that we gave ourselves away? Can you imagine what that would look like? How fantastic that would be. All right, I want to jump back to 5, chapter of uh, 1 John 5. So he goes on, he says this, and this is... And this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. In Jesus as the Son of this, this God that we're talking about, He's now the embodiment. And we call Him the Son. The life of God fully dwells in Him. That's the idea. Jesus, John and all the early stories about Jesus insisted on this, that He was the Son come from God, carrying in himself the untainted DNA of Yahweh, of the divine. Jesus is this. That's that's the claim. And I know that is an insane claim. And if you're here and you're you're like, I don't even know that this story is true. Man, I totally understand why that's a hard one to swallow. But what if it is? Like, what might this mean if it's actually true? When we look at Jesus' life, not just like philosophically, oh, Jesus is life. I, I don't know what that always means Like when I say that or when other people say that. What does this mean? So not just like philosophically, but his physical life, like what we got to watch him do. We see this striking resemblance to the God of the Old Testament. If, if, you, if you look at his story, his biography, the striking resemblance to God who he calls Father. He calls him Father. So somehow they have this, this intimate connection. So think about it. Go back and like read the biographies, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They tell us the story of Jesus' life. He's constantly doing what? He's constantly giving his life away, right? He's constantly bring, giving life to bring life and good for everybody. What can you ever think of a situation where he was looking out for himself? Now, I'm not saying we should never look out for ourselves, right? But Jesus, when was he ever looking out for himself? Right? Every interaction that he had, every teaching that he did, every confrontation, every time he was comforted, com- comforting others, every time he touched, every time, what was he doing half the time? He was healing people, right? He was literally bringing life back into people. He was creating, he was cultivating, he was celebrating life and good, but he was doing so in situations where there was unhealth, where there was darkness, where there was death. Jesus was entering into that. To to work for good, he had to do more than just create it. He had to restore it. He, He had to, 
redeem or, or save it, however you want to call it. He was not starting with a blank slate. Like, it wasn't creation. It wasn't starting with a blank slate, but a broken world. That's where Jesus enters in. He embodied the creating, cultivating, celebrating life of God by restoring life to us. And he was consistent in living God's life. Okay? If you look at his life and map it over what we actually know of God, wow, there's a strong resemblance to, the, to that. He was consistent with this. But he was radically different from what we know about humanity, of how we live. He was something new to the human race. He was a new way of being a human being. That was Jesus. And it would appear, because of this, the, the opposition mounted against him. Um, all, the, all the hatred, all the resistance towards God that had built up, not just during Jesus' lifetime, but during human history. This, this, hate, this hatred that was building towards God throughout human history converged onto Jesus when in our ultimate rejection of God's life, we nailed his life to a tree. That's what we did when life came to us. That would seem to be probably the nail in our coffin, right? I mean, come on, you don't get past that. How can humanity get past the fact that we, we killed the embodiment of the life, eternal life of God? We nail him to a tree. We, we spit on him. We, we put a crown of thorns on him and mock him. How, how do you get over that? This cursing of God was surely the inescapable curse on us. Surely we cursed ourselves beyond repair. Surely, right? God didn't just refuse to give up. He actually used our cursing of him, turned it upside down for our greatest blessing, to make eternal life for us. When Jesus returned to, to life, he actually undid the curse that covered all of humanity. In his resurrection, he became the beginning of, of, a, of a new, even more new people, what we call the first fruits of a new age. Uh, this is the deeper reason why eternal life, this gift from God, is found only in Jesus, the, the Son, because Jesus is he's the resurrection and the life. He's, he is eternal life. He is eternal. He's actually eternal life. John says, whoever has a son has life. Whoever doesn't have the son doesn't have life. So now we have access to this life. We get to possess the life by possessing the Son, by relating to Him. Uh, um, it's hard. I don't even know how to describe this. I was talking to my son this past week about how do you talk about this concept of being in connection to, to God through Christ. Relating to Him just sounds so flat. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to call it. It's, it is connection. It's loving Him. It's, it's, it's knowing Him. It's, it's this intimacy with him. It's being overwhelmed by, by who he is. We don't get the life by trying to get the life. You want eternal life and you try to chase it? It's chasing after the rainbow. There ain't no end to that rainbow. You will never find it. You get the life by getting him. Jesus, Jesus put it this way. So this is back in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This is eternal life, that they know you. This is Jesus talking. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Relationship with, Je with him, loving and knowing him, is eternal life. 
what is it? What is this eternal life? It's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a, it's a gift that gives life. It's a gift in the Son that we get by relating to Him somehow. So, John goes on and he says, this is in verse 13 of, of 1 John 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is very similar to what the Gospel of John kind of ends with in John chapter 20 when John says, look, there's lots, I could write volumes and volumes that would fill the whole earth of what Jesus has done. I'm not going to do that. But the reason I, that I've written these books, he says, is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This eternal life is not just an idea and a philosophy for us to debate and argue and pick apart, like, what exactly is eternal life? That's, that's not what this is all about. It's for us, and it's for our transformation. When, when is it for us? Right? Die and go to heaven. Right? That's not what he's talking about. When? I write these things to you that you may know you have eternal You have. This is present tense. It's a present tense. You have. It's, it's for us right now. It's for us now. Those who are born of God, believing Jesus is the Christ, have this life in them now. Jesus says he gives us, he gives us the Spirit who's going to start bearing fruit. Like when the life of Jesus through the Spirit comes into us, it starts bearing this fruit in us now, today. Jesus is the beginning of a new humanity. He's the beginning of a new age. But he and the new age have already broken into our present age. This, does this make any sense? Kind of, right? Like, we're going to, we're trying, we're trying, we're wrestling, we're wrestling. As children, we are inheriting the new age. Today. This is not just for later. This is for today. Yes, there is so much still that has to pass away. I mean, come on, let's be honest about the world that we live in. Let's be honest about ourselves, the darkness and the death, the unlife um, that is very real among us and around us and within us. If we deny that, we're denying reality. We're not living in reality. But... The new day is not only guaranteed to come, fruits of the new day are sprouting up right now. I can see it in you. I have seen it in you. I've seen it in you. I don't know you yet, but I'm sure it's there too, right? Okay. I've seen it in you. It's sprouting. The new age is sprouting. The new age is arriving. So there's a theologian, contemporary theologian named N.T. Wright, and this is kind of a long quote, but he's talking about, he's talking about the way eternal life is used in the Gospel of John. So this is where the reference is, but I think it's very applicable for us. He says this, and he's a historian as well. In the Jewish world of Jesus' day, people regularly thought of the present age and the age to come. That was just kind of a common thing, he said. 
They divided history broadly into two. The present age, they knew, was a time of sorrow and injustice and oppression. Lots of bad things happening. But one day, they believed the Creator God would usher in a new age. The new day that would dawn, and then everything would be sorted out. He's English, and I always want to read this with a British accent, but I won't do that to you. That's what John is talking about. Back to N.T. Wright. With the phrase which is translated in some versions, eternal life, because we can translate that thing differently, right? That's a literal translation, eternal life. He means the life of the coming age. So he's equating, sorry, N.T. Wright saying new age and eternal life, can be, those two terms can be actually equated. Back to N.T. Wright. And the point about Jesus' work in John's gospel is that the life of the coming new age comes forward into the present in the person of Jesus. So that suddenly we find new creation bursting into the present world, unready as it is. It's premature. And that gives the dramatic tension of Jesus' story where the new creation is happening here and now while the old creation is still rumbling on. (laughs) It's still going on. It's still rumbling. Sorry, I had to throw it in there. It's rumbling on. It's still rumbling. But there's something. There's this new life. There's this new age. God's creation, he says, gave birth, as it were, to new creation. Or rather, God the creator came to birth within his own world. Holy cow. That's one, if you want the quote, actually there's a little video I can send you. Just text me and I'll be happy to send it to you. That's one to chew on. What does this, all this mean? Eternal life starts the day you trust Jesus as the life. And it continues every day that you're trusting him as the life. We get to start tapping into our inheritance. We get to start opening the present now. The new, new age has come upon us, living in the gift that gives life by creating and right now cultivating and celebrating and restoring life to others in the world. We get to be about that. And yes, Of course, it feels incomplete because there's so much more to come. The new age has come, but it is also coming, okay? I say this to the end because this is what we all jump to. There is something yet to come. Theologians talk about the now and the not yet. There's something that has arrived, and there's something yet to come. When Jesus returns, the light of the new day will fully shine, and the old life of death is going to pass away or it's going to be cast out of the new creation. However God does that is his business, but he's going to do away with death. And when we face all the the heartache right now, all the disappointment, whatever disappointment we are going through or will go through, all the places and times where we and others live more in line with this old way of death, trying to su- I try to suck life from you, right? That's death. That's death. And we experience that. We experience that rather than giving life to others when we start to see the contrast, right? And the longer I live, I think the greater I see the contrast between that way of death and this eternal life thing of God, this life-giving life, when we see the contrast in these two ways, it should cause us to ache. 
hurt, feel the pain, and long for the new day to fully arrive, for the sun to return and to finish making all things new. Trusting He will bring that day is the guaranteed hope, it's the guaranteed peace, it's the motivation to live today with humble confidence that the good life is actually real. It's not just a figment of our imagination. There is really such a thing as this good life. It actually matters right now with how we treat one another, with how we move into the world, with how we bring life-giving life to others. It really, it's not just for a future day. It really matters today. And we know with confidence, if you see Jesus as the one who has been raised, that he will win the day and he will launch his new beginning on a future day. Father, these, are, these can be some bizarre concepts for us to ponder and to think about, yet this is so practical to our life. I feel it's something that I have so much, I feel like I'm scratching the surface of what your life that you call eternal life is really all about, but it is a gift. It is a gift from you. It is fully embodied as we look at the life of Jesus. He is the eternal life that has opened the door for us to receive it. It is for us. And Lord, for any of us here who may be standing outside of that life, I ask that your spirit would press in and draw them to yourself. Jesus, show yourself and bring people to yourself and help us as we as we experience that life, to enjoy it and then to move into a world that is dying with the new age as a people of the new age, inviting others into the new age and spreading the life of the new age. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.